Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast and it's a new series and a new year. It's 2023. Um, As a small introduction, I run thoughtful gift company Don't Buy Her Flowers. And before I started the business, I had a blog where I wrote about relationships and motherhood and tried to make sense of it a bit while admitting that I found this juggle, this rush hour that we seem to be in quite hard, actually. Um, We started this podcast a year ago and having just made it through Christmas, well, nothing spells out the rush hour more than Christmas. The planning and shopping and organising and keeping up with WhatsApps and dealing with children and parents and trying not to all kill each other on long car journeys and just no routine. And God, I really love routine. I know not everyone does, but I seem to forget this every year. So I think that it'll all be much more relaxing than it actually is. And I think the only way I've survived so far with three kids and a business and a husband is routine. Uh, I'm aware that I sound really unfun. I'm okay with it. I'm nearly 42 and I like to know what's happening. So anyway, the other thing that seems to be going on in this rush hour is big life stuff that can also be really hard. Having babies, mental health challenges, physical health challenges, and also, and I promise this is all less grim than it sounds, death. Um, This series, we wanted to talk about some of those occasions when people are lost for words and chat with experts who might be able to help us better make sense of these things if we're going through it or how to support someone else when they are. Since we started Don't Buy Her Flowers, customers have increasingly bought packages for all these difficult occasions. So we see these like little exchanges, little human connections in tag messages all the time. But it's not for us to behave as if we have all the answers, hence speaking to brilliant people who are really in the know. And my first guest is indeed brilliant. Carrie Ad Lloyd is a comedian, actress and writer and the woman behind the award-winning and brilliant podcast Griefcast, where she speaks with guests about their own experience of grief and honestly you might think it would be depressing but it really isn't. Uh, it's actually all about life and relationships and love and as we discussed the guests on the podcast love it because they get to talk about their person. Um, in a world where often people don't allow for that space when someone's died. There is so much in what Carrier talks about. We go into loss and how it impacts a person's identity and the different ways people grieve and also what you can do to support someone grieving um, and how we can better prepare for it for ourselves and the people around us. Hopefully the conversation has moved on significantly um, in the last few years, but as Carrier says, it's not enough. So um, she is also about to publish her book, You Are Not Alone, which we talk about. It's out on the 19th of January. So depending when you're listening, you can either pre-order it now or just crack on and buy it. And it's available in Don't Buy Her Flowers gift boxes. 
I'd like to thank Natural Mat for sponsoring this series. They have been hand-making organic beds and mattresses in Devon since 1999. I'll tell you more about them in a bit, but you can get 15% off your first Natural Mat order with the code DBHF15, either online or in one of their showrooms. So let's get to it. Kicking off the series, here's Cariad. Hello. Hello. Congratulations. So the book, You Are Not Alone, is coming out in January. January 19th, 2023, pre-order or by yeah. now, whenever you're listening. I'm feeling good. It's very strange. It's been a really long process. So I got the book deal in 2019. So it's been a really long, slow journey, which is very fitting for grief. And so I'm feeling very excited that it's finally coming out, but it's also, it's like being pregnant for four years. It's odd. And the book, you'd say it's for anyone who's felt lost in grief, who wants to help someone with theirs and just to understand life a little better. Because there's life lessons in there as well. It's not just... <laughs> Agreed. And also quite a lot of comedy, Carrot. I mean, obviously, <laughs> we should mention the fact that you are a comedian, but it makes it a really fun read, even though you're talking about grief and death, which is obviously what you do brilliantly. I know it's hard to sell, isn't it? Because I, I, you can tell people are like, oh, God, a death book. And you're like, no, it is funny. And then people are like, yeah. why is it funny? And you're like, because <laughs> it's the little I, cutaway comments that yes. are very much in your voice that yes. really make it. Thank you. I started as a comedian. That's what I did before I talked about death all the time. But to be fair, you know, my dad died before all of those things. So which came first? The grief yeah. or the comedy? And the comedy is obviously a part of the coping mechanism to cope with the grief. So I really wanted to write a book that um, wouldn't be too depressing, really, that you mm. could pick up and not have that sinking feeling of like, oh, God, I've got to read this really depressing book about grief. I wanted you to pick it up and be like, oh, I can have a read and I can do a chapter on the tube or something or on a journey or at home and before bed and not go thinking, oh, now I feel awful. So try mm. and keep it a bit light and a bit yeah. silly. And yeah, that's sort of a reverent tone that I have on the grief cast of like, yes, grief is awful. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's not awful and I'm not saying it's not hideous. But if we can occasionally laugh then I think you're more likely to read the book. You're more likely to face your grief. You're more likely to have that conversation with someone you know who's grieving, which mm. you might be avoiding. You're like, oh, it's just so heavy. I don't know what to say. So that was my intention to kind of sneak grief in <laughs> so that you're thinking about death and grief, but without feeling like, oh, this has been a really depressing conversation. I don't want to have this because, you know, I get it. I, I don't want those bleak conversations all the time. And I'm someone who talks about it on a weekly basis. You've been going since 2016 with the podcast, Griefcast, yes. and... It's brilliant and it started as comedians, right? Which again, the concept of it is so niche, <laughs> really. So niche. Very that's, niche. That's me, Steph. I'm niche. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very niche I person. love it. There's a bit in your book where you write about wandering down the street going, could, could you? could you have a podcast? Don't be silly. You couldn't have a podcast talking about grief and talking to people about, and then you go as far as I'm going to talk to comedians about death and grief. Obviously you've had loads of awards, massively successful, massive range of guests with some amazing names in there. And you've done what over 200? Nearly 200. Yeah. We nearly hit 200 episodes. It's been going for yeah six years. I'm on my 10th season. Yeah, I was walking down the road and it was at that point with podcasting when comedians had podcasts, like other people didn't have podcasts. It was only like another form of like, oh, you can be funny and that's more, you know, get more people right. to come and see your shows. So I thought, oh, it's funny everyone's got podcasts, isn't it? I wonder what, if I had a podcast, what would mine be about? And I literally thought, I just talk to people about death. That's a terrible <laughs> idea. That's a terrible idea. Who would listen to that? And it just wouldn't 
go away. It's just an idea that just kept knocking on my head being like, why mm. don't you do that? Why don't you do that? And I was pregnant um, with my first child and I, and I wasn't getting loads of work because so I say when you're pregnant, it's quite hard to get acting work and maybe times have changed before anyone has a go, but it was hard back then. I thought, well, I'm not really doing anything. So I might as well start recording these things and then I'll just not think about it again. So I recorded four conversations with comedians because I knew comedians and I also really wanted it again in my head. I was like, well, you don't want to listen to something that's really bleak. So if I talk to comedians, they'll do what I'll do. They'll crack jokes at the awkward moments. Mm. And after an hour's listen, you'll hopefully feel a little bit better. You won't feel worse because that's mm-hmm. really important with grief. You know, when you want to sort of say, look, I'm here too. I felt like you did. <laughs> Didn't this weird thing happen? And I thought, well, that's what I would have wanted in my worst points to sort of have a laugh, talk about it, you know, like you would with a friend and be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I don't feel the grief hasn't gone away, but I feel a bit better having talked about it. Yeah. So I, I talked to comedians and they did exactly what I wanted. They cracked jokes and they were silly and, but also heartfelt. And, you know, that first series was Sarah Pascoe, Adam Buxton, Jade Adams, and a brilliant producer called John Harvey, comedy producer. Then my daughter was two weeks late. That's what happened. She was oh. overdue. And so I had these sort of weird two weeks. So I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. And I thought, why don't I just put them out there and see what happens? And then oh forget God. about them. It's done. <laughs> it's so mad the things you do when you're very, very exactly. pregnant. I yeah. was so pregnant. I thought, I'll learn editing. I'll learn yeah. how to upload them. Because it's two weeks. So I did that, put them up. And I thought, great, don't have to think about them again. And a friend, I'm very good friends with the podcasters, No Such Thing as a Fish. And Dan Schreiber is one of the podcasters. And he said, oh, just set up an email so that you've got it and so no one else owns it. So just set up, you know, your Griefcast email. Yeah. And um, I had my daughter two weeks late and then I checked the email, you know, I don't know, maybe two weeks after I'd had her just like, and I had hundreds of emails immediately Mm. from people from these four episodes going, I didn't know anyone else felt like this. I can't believe you're talking about grief. I thought I was completely mad. I thought I was having a breakdown. And I, that's when it sort of hit me holding this newborn baby being like, oh God, other people feel like this. I thought it was just me as well. Yeah. I thought, yeah, fuck. I was like, shit. (laughs) I've got to do this now. This isn't just something that's knocking at my head and it's just an idea. I was like, there's all Mm. these people that feel like I do. I've got to carry on doing this. And kind of, it became this thing that I could do with a baby. So I could work around, I could record during naps and I could edit when she was, you know, just lying there. And that's why it became my job after I I had my child. And also not only did you have, I guess, the public contacting you, but also the people who come on the podcast and you can hear it. I've obviously been going back and listening. And actually, I listened back to Jade Adams because having seen her on Strictly and she talked about her sister Jenna and just brilliantly, I think it epitomises what you do in that she's talking about how they rowed, how her sister could be a nightmare. It's not that traditional thing that people do when someone's died of oh they were such a saint they were so wonderful they were so and obviously your your podcast goes quite against that in lots of ways because the the best episodes are the really honest ones which are just so much more relatable but also like Jimmy Carr like they all get to the end of the conversation like I loved this like they have loved (laughs) talking to you for an hour about or however long about their person yeah I was surprised at that I didn't expect that at all that the guest would always say to me oh that was really nice. That was really Mm. nice just to talk about them. And I Mm. think what I realized as I I put a lot in the book, there's a whole chapter about talking and how we don't give permission to talk about our person 
So the most you might get is, oh, I, oh I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, oh, thank you. Oh, it must be so awful. Yeah. Yeah, it's been awful. Anyway, like, <laughs> no one says, <laughs> yeah. Oh. And, and people don't say, what were they like? What do you miss about them? Hmm. What, 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 was, what was the problem with your relationship? Like, what was the worst thing about it? Or what was the best thing about it? You know, we just don't ask about the person. So hmm. grief cast, the reason people want to do it, I think, hopefully, is that it's me for an hour going absolute permission. I won't change the subject. I won't roll my eyes. I won't say you're making me feel uncomfortable. I only want to hear about your grief and that person for an hour. And that's really rare. rare. Like yeah. They don't get that opportunity to talk about people. There's an episode with Robert Popper. He's an amazing comedy writer. He wrote Friday Night Dinner and right. Look Around You. And, you know, you'd know his work. He's an incredibly funny person. And he came on to talk about his grandma. And his grandma is kind of in Friday Night Dinner. He kind of based his character on this sort of mad grandma. And the first question I always ask is, you know, what's their name? And he stopped and he started crying and just welled up. And he said, well... Like no one ever asked her name. She's this funny character I do. She's this voice. She's stories, but Mm. no one ever just says, what was she called? I never get to say her name. Mm. And that's my thought. Oh God, like people just don't ask these questions, which is understandable. Did you see Jade Adams on Strictly when Claudia mentioned Jenna? Yes. And she went, oh, you said her name. You said her name. That gives me, that gives me goosebumps because I can, and I I haven't had someone very close to me die. So it's really interesting listening to it. And, but I can just, I can empathize with that idea for having kind of read a bit more and, and listened and stuff. It really struck me. That's exactly what you do. I've known Jade a long time and said she was one of my first mm. guests and she's spoken about Jenna a lot and I thought what she did on Strictly was incredible. That moment when Claudia took the time to say her name and say yeah. your sister Jenna, which I thought was such a generous thing of Claudia to do in that moment to not sweep it away. And yeah, you saw Jade's reaction, just her hand went to her face of like, <gasps> you, Claudia Winkleman, have said her name and I saw Claudia, she looked a bit embarrassed, like, oh, I'm just nobody. And you're like, no, no, to people who grew up with you, you are, you're Claudia Winkleman, you're an exciting person. And for her name to be on your, in your breath, that's, she's still here, she's still present. And that's, mm. that's such an important part of grief. And that's mm. what so many people, not complain about, but one of the sadnesses of people grieving is like, we don't get to talk about them, we're not allowed, because it's inverted commas, like it's a bit sad and depressing. So can you not? Can you like tidy it up, please? Would like, you say as well about people think they're going to catch it? Because it reminds you of our own mortality or the mortality of everyone around us. I get like it's quite, it makes sense. Yeah. But it doesn't it, help anybody because it is our inevitability. Like, And I think that's really important to acknowledge. Like it, I do not judge anyone for thinking, oh my God, I don't mm. want to talk about that because it's upsetting me. Like, of course, of course, of course. And I write in the book, you know, when I've had to interview people about child loss, it's been mm. very difficult for me oh you know boohoo poor me like it's ridiculous for me to be upset about it but I had to face that and go well what is it that is making you panic when someone's talking about child loss it's like well I've got two kids and part of you just thinks oh god no if I don't say it it won't happen I can protect Mm -hmm. us by not speaking it and words and language are really a really powerful thing we know words can hurt and language is a can be a dangerous tool of manipulation and and also joy and celebration and so it it's perfectly understandable as humans we panic and we think I don't want to talk about it because I don't want my dad mum grandparents child to die and if Mm -hmm. I talk to you about it it feels like I might catch it 
what we have to do is go, that's really irrational. It's illogical. It's the same, you know, fear that you might have like, oh, it's heavy snow. Let's not go outside. We'll all die. Like, you know, it's like this kind of primal fear of like, protect the family. Yeah. Totally understandable. But you have to have a moment with yourself and go, that person just needs me to hear their pain, but their pain, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to catch their pain. I can just be there with them for a second. And I think if we all got a bit better at, at soothing ourselves of going, it's all right, I'm not going to catch it. Doesn't mean my family are going to die. What has happened is that someone they love has died and they just need me to walk with them very briefly, really, in the scale of their life and say, mm-hmm. I'm here for you and I can bear your pain with you for the moment that you want to talk about it. And do you think it's changed a lot since 2016, as in, not enough probably but that that amount of conversation that or people just even understand like actually maybe it's a good thing to talk about <laughs> I think it has changed because when I started the show you know people would still be like a podcast about grief oh mm. okay <laughs> like, that's what you do in like playground chat oh anyway <laughs> run away from her and what I've noticed now especially in podcasting There's lots of episodes, lots of series of shows that will have a grief episode. And the whole series isn't about grief like mine is, but they'll have an episode where someone talks about their grief and it's not weird. It's not strange. They don't panic. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, I'm here to talk about how I became a successful business person, but also I'm going to talk about this grief and how it affected it. Mm -hmm. So I think the conversation is more open. But as you very intuitively said, there's more work to be done. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem is we can't sit back and go oh great we talk about it now that's brilliant because we do talk about grief but in a very manageable way in a very safe way in the same way we do with mental health like everyone's like oh talk about your mental health yeah I had I had a down day it's okay to have down days but if someone is literally having a breakdown in front of you and being difficult to manage or causing harm to themselves or other people that's very confronting that's very difficult you know if somebody wants to talk about their grief in a sort of quiet oh yes my dad died here I go but if somebody wants to get emotional and say I feel so angry this still happened I'm so few then we are quite quick to shut the conversation down I think then people are like oh gosh this is a bit much Mm. so although we are talking about it it's great I think we still want grief to be packaged in a quite manageable way and sometimes it can't be the first thing you write about are the stages of grief theory, the five stages of grief and how that's yep. fucked us all, basically. <laughs> yes, yes, Steph, say it. And then, Fuck and then you five stages. <laughs> but you unpick it and you're like, the five stages of grief, which I know I've heard, like, without having been in that world, I yep. have heard about that. And it's like, oh, they've just got to get through this phase and then they pass on to this phase. So they're yep. going to be angry and then they're going to be sad and then whatever it is. But you write that actually that, stages of grief has developed for people who were dying to understand how they might be coming to terms with their death nothing to do with people left behind no it's mad I like can't understand it and I only really discovered this through doing the grief cast you know because five stages would come up and I thought I don't really buy this five I didn't feel that like I never felt that but I'm weird so okay fine and then I finally read the book on death and dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and I was like what (laughs) say what because she's amazing like no shade to Kubler-Ross as I say in the book like she's an incredible Mm. person what she did was fundamentally change the conversation about death and dying and grief but it was written in 1969 like that is a long time ago like if you think how much has changed in terms of mental health conversations and you know psychology conversations like it's massive Mm -hmm. so she wrote this theory that 
So patients dealing with terminal illness, predominantly cancer, if you could tell them they were dying of cancer, because they weren't in 1969 in America, they wouldn't, they would say, oh, there's a malignancy, have some medicine and well, fingers crossed. And then they would die. Like they, oh, they didn't think people could handle that information or families could. <laughs> oh, so people would literally take drugs thinking, yeah, I'm going to get better. That's what they've told me. And they Shit. didn't know they were dying of cat. Like uh, you, it's so hard to get your head around. Yeah. But that so was, actually that's a massive shift yeah, in massive. those 60 years yeah. since then. That culture. And you, they wouldn't even, you wouldn't specify a cancer. You wouldn't say it's liver cancer. You just say you just got a malignancy mm. and it, it, fingers crossed. And so they wouldn't tell people. And she came onto the cancer ward and was and basically argued that that was causing a problem for people suffering from cancer. And she said, if you tell someone they've got cancer, they'll go through five stages. They'll be angry that they have cancer. They'll deny it. They'll say, I oh, know I'm going to get better. I'll be fine. They'll bargain. Why me? Why God? Did God do this to me? Uh, they'll be depressed. Oh God, this is the worst thing that happened to me. And then they will accept it. And she said, if you can get them to acceptance, they have a peaceful death. It's much more likely to be peaceful. They'll also probably... Wow, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone, isn't it? It's a huge amount of pressure. (laughs) Huge amount of pressure. But she sort of observed this, that when people were told, Mm. oh, you do have cancer, they they would go through a range of emotions and they would also have a chance to speak to their family. And yeah. resolve things because people weren't given that opportunity to even go, oh, by the way, I'm sorry about that. Or by the way, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not your real dad. I mean, all, this, all this stuff that like couldn't be told. So yeah. she was arguing like basically the whole book, the argument is patients should be told they have cancer. Like that's what the book is about. Right. Now, obviously, later on, it became applied to grief. And I understand why, because wouldn't it be great if it was true? Wouldn't it be wonderful? And those five five things probably are in the mix somewhere, right? They're in the mix. They're definitely in the mix. But, and that is the but theory not in now. A yeah. Order. No, they're not in an order. It's not linear, as I say in the book repeatedly. Like it's not mm. a straight line. It's not linear. It's not a film. You're not watching a beginning, a middle, and end. This is human life. And as mm. we all know, the reason films exist is because they make sense of what our real life is, which is a mess. Like mm-hmm. you don't like meet the guy and then like fall in love and accidentally yeah. bump into each other and then it's okay. Like that's not what happens in real life. And the same in grief. Like it's not like I have anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and then I'm, oh, I'm over it. My dad died. Mm. Never mind. I feel fine. Like, that's not yeah. what happens. And that's not what she said. And that's not what she mm. said later. And there's other, there's another guy who's worked a lot with her theories just to say, you know, like they did say later, this isn't really applying to grieving. It can apply, it can apply to any loss, but it's a mix. And loads of academics since then have just gone, this isn't how people grieve. They don't grieve like this. It makes no sense. But because it's tasty, because it's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if that was true? Mm. We cling on to it because we think, oh, well, it, yes. It makes it easier for everyone around you yes. as well because you can kind of go, oh, I know what phase they're in and then they're going to get into this one. And wouldn't be that better. be nice and yeah. neat? Yeah. yeah. This series is sponsored by Natural Mat, makers of organic beds and mattresses, which they've been handmaking in Devon since 1999. When Natural Mat founder Mark and his wife Alice had their son Luke back in 2000, they were shocked by the synthetic materials and chemicals they found inside baby mattresses at the time. Within six months, they launched the first ever natural and organic baby mattress to pass all British standards with absolutely zero chemicals, just 100% natural. And when it comes to where your baby sleeps, natural fibres are superior in every single way. They're more comfortable, more supportive and more breathable, which all contribute to the healthiest and safest night's sleep for your baby. Frankly, anything that might improve a baby's sleep and therefore give parents more sleep is a winner. 
And don't buy her flowers, listeners can get 15% off their first natural mat order using the code DBHF15 either online or in their London, Devon or Cotswold showrooms. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You say about the kind of Victorian times of how there was this kind of, there were lots of strict rules around grief and also there was a point that you then move on. And then so we've inherited a kind of shame when you don't move on. And like you say, it could be 20, however many years later, you, you talk about it as waves and you say it yeah. might it might keep coming. They might be further apart, but there could still be one that completely knocks you over. Yeah, basically. I just think it's such a strange idea when you when you unpick it that mm. somebody as important as a parent or a child or, you know, or a dearly loved friend would not matter anymore. That doesn't make sense. You know, like my dad is a fundamental part of like who I am, 50% of who I now am. And even though, yes, the environment and nurture has has its place, like the fact that I still feel sad that he died, it's not an odd thing. And yeah, there's this idea that you should move on and get over it. And that equals no feelings rather than the truth is most days, Steph, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. I don't wake up crying. I don't feel this like, oh, my dad. Like, he died 20 plus years ago. I've stopped mm. counting what it is now because the 20 was so stressful. But every now and again, a sting comes along and I see a grandparent, a grandpa in the park pick up his granddaughter and I see the mum, oh, stop throwing her around. Be careful on the swings. And I think, oh, that's what he would have looked like. And it hurts. Oh. 
there's a bit in your book and you write about Jack D yeah. and being on a trip. Oh God, that it made me really sad because it's so sweet. Peter, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But describe that story because it's it's just like a page in the book, but I, I was like, oh, my heart really felt Oh, bless you. you. There's essays, like we said, talking about five stages of Victorian grief. And in between there's these, I call them vignettes of my grief. And it's just the waves. I'm talking about the one of like the sort of worst moments along the way that that taught me something. That taught me something. Mm-hmm. It's not too depressing. So I did a gig. I had to go like quite far away. And Jack D was it was like a chat showy gig. And Jack D was hosting it. And who is a lovely, lovely, lovely man. We all got driven back into London. It's pouring with rain. And you know, in this big car, all these comedians and <laughs> like they had cabs for everyone because it was really late. It was like I don't know one in the morning or something. And um, he would pull over and it's so dark and cold and raining. And he's like, right, Carrie, that, that's your, that's your one. Jump out, get and I had to jump out of his car, get in another car. And as I walked away, I thought, what's he doing? <laughs> what's he doing? And I turned around and I was like, oh, he's looking at me. He's, what's he, what is that? I thought, oh, he's waiting for me to get in the cab. And then I thought, why would someone do that? I thought, oh, yeah, that he's sort of checking that I'm okay, isn't he? Oh, yeah. And I looked around and I just saw this middle-aged man checking and I got in and he gave me like thumbs up. Oh, all right. Yep. See you later. And door closed and I burst into tears. And I thought, oh, that's what dads do. Like I, I was like an alien. I was like, what's, what, why is a, why is a man looking? What, what do you want? Like, I was so confused because yeah. I haven't had a dad since I was 15. So I was like, what does he want me to do? What, what should I? And I thought, oh, he's just, just checking, just checking your account. And made me love him as well. That meant, you know, like he's meant to be this grumpy old man. And he's just like, oh, Jack D. He's such a nice guy. So, and I never said anything. Cause obviously, I've put it in the book now. Who knows who will read it? It's a bit embarrassing. Yeah. But I thought, oh, wow. It was just these brief moments where you get, a, like the door opens to another world. And you're like, oh, if mm. I had a dad, it would look like that. Mm. And it's not to say like, that didn't devastate me, but it just it was a wave of grief and I felt it and I let myself feel it. And I thought, yeah, that is sad. That is sad. And it was really nice that for one moment I got a dad checking on me. Yeah. And it made me think, yeah, you do have these other figures who kind of dad like, and if you don't fight it and don't go, don't feel that he's not your dad. Don't be stupid. It's 20 plus years. Get over it. Who cares? Don't, you know, all of that stuff we do to ourselves. If you just let yourself feel it and go, Oh yeah, that's, that was sad. And I remember I came home and just said to my husband, Oh, it was really sad because he like watched me get in the car I felt like I had a dad and he was like oh sorry but there's a bit in the book you write about um identity Mm. and when somebody dies how that can impact your identity and there's a there's a couple of bits of the book where you write about things you don't do now because your dad died or things that you would have liked to ask him but you can't because he's not there and it feels like that's a really big part of it that would take some real work for someone to understand, regardless of what age they were, like how not having that person there, that that ending has an impact on your identity. Yeah. And I think it's something I fought for such a long time, like because it happened when I was very young and because I was very overwhelmed by it. I was like, well, no big deal. Everyone's dad will die eventually. I just got I got there early. No big deal. No big deal. It's, mm. it, not, it hasn't had any effect on me, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> and then through much therapy and talking and the podcast, I thought, well, it's the biggest thing that's ever happened to me, aside mm. from becoming a parent. And that's just my personal choice. I know not everybody becomes parents. That's just what has happened to me that's also reflected the death of my father. Mm. And I just thought, wow, like, 
it's important to acknowledge that and again not fight it not not try and whisk it away all the time going oh it doesn't matter people say to me all the time like listeners come up and say oh it was only it was six years ago so it was ages ago and oh you know I was really close to my mum but you know it um is everybody loses their mum eventually don't they we we always try and minimize our grief because we're sort Mm. of ashamed of feeling sad and I want to just say, no, like I've lost the shame of like, yeah, it, it's huge. It's a massive part of who I am. Something fundamentally massive happened to me at 15. It was really traumatic mm. when I wasn't really a person, when I was still forming. And that formed how I see the world, how I am with people, my anxiety levels, how I am as a parent. And I think we're much kinder to ourselves about other things. You know, if you if you moved from Cornwall to the inner city London when you were 15, you'd be like, oh, that was quite big. And it really affected how I viewed my life and my friends change and what I did change. But with grief, we're like, no, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no big deal. Mm. Um, mm. Because that's what often society is telling us as well. Like, get over it. It's too long. You shouldn't still be talking about it. So I wanted just to say to people, well, look, what was happening at the time that you lost someone very important to you? And to also say that doesn't mean you have to have been talking to them at the time or very close to them or or you had an easy relationship with them at all. But what was happening, you know, had you just become a parent? Were you pregnant? Had you just moved house? Did you have to then care for another parent immediately or sell your childhood home? All these things will affect the grief. Mm. And I think sometimes we only look at grief as like, oh, all it is, the only thing it is, is that I'm sad about their death. And actually it's lots of other losses. They call them secondary grief. Um, mm. Julia Samuel writes about this a lot as well, very beautifully of like, you know, the, the other losses are as have are still losses, even though they're not your main loss, which is the mm. death. And to acknowledge them and allow them space and allow yourself space to feel them can be very helpful and healing. And I'm always very wary of saying healing. I don't mean like you'll get over it and you'll be fine, but it can definitely mm-hmm. help the grief become easier to carry. There's a couple of really useful bits quite early on in the book where you say about having to go through each season without them Mm. is something that you'd read. But also there's a sentence that you say about that grief demands and deserves sadness. And you say, our fear at feeling negative feelings can ironically stall us from moving through them to a place where we can carry them without breaking them. This is it. And I wish I could tell you something else. (laughs) I could say yeah, yeah. don't so worry I mean I can't we can't just get through this <laughs> yeah I wish I could say oh look if you have this ice cream and this pill and then it all goes away it's fine don't worry about it like but as we know as you know if you've lived long enough life is just not that fucking simple I wish it was mm. and mm. and grief is one of the you know it's the end of all our stories it's everything it's what we're all walking towards so of course it's not a simple thing living isn't simple death isn't simple you're going to be sad you're going to be very very sad and it's going to be really shit (laughs) for some time Mm. but it's also going to be okay And there will be some days where it's okay and there'll be some days where it's bearable and then that wave will come and smack you in the face again but what I'm trying to say in this book, which is a nuanced argument, which is is hard these days in the age of not much nuance, of, is that feeling that sadness will allow you to get to a place where it is easier to manage the sadness. Because I think the logical human thought is, don't feel it, don't let it in. Therefore, we're mm. winning. The sadness is dead. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's like, yeah. grief just waits. And that's what happened to me. I didn't feel it for a long time. And I thought... I've beaten it. Your mum got you to go to like a teen counselling session quite early on and you were like, oh, that was, you came out. But you write about it 
at almost, well, I guess it's from inside your teenage head where you're kind of going, oh, well, I can beat this. And oh, hang on, she said something that actually maybe, but no, I, I can't, I can't do, you weren't ready, basically. I wasn't say. ready. I wasn't. And that's the thing I say again and again, like, I'm such a big advocate of therapy, but you have to be ready. It takes a long time. If they've lost a parent at a young age, it's not something they're going to just deal with in a couple of years. It's going to, that's a lifetime of reframing it because somebody wasn't there for so many years and you have to grieve them as a teenager, as a 20 year old, as a 25 year old, as a 30 year old and being like, oh, all these things they didn't see. Okay. And grief evolves with you because that's the thing I think people think as well like it just stays as it was when you were 15 mm-hmm. it doesn't evolve you change so the way you view them as a person changes you know things I used to hate them for I'm now like oh yeah fair enough <laughs> kids kids yeah. sometimes are annoying you sometimes shout I was like you're so shouty now I'm like yeah, yeah I can see why that might have cropped up <laughs> it's a bit annoying. I, can, yeah, I yeah. can see why he made me feel I was so annoying yeah you were you were a little bit annoying at six that's, yeah. that's allowed so yeah, bless my mum tried to um, take me to teenage. Well, it wasn't teenage. This was the problem because he died in 1998 when there just wasn't, people weren't talking about it at all. So mm. because I was 15 when he died and then I turned 16 about four months later, I think, um, I was still classified as a child. So I had to go to child counselling. Every time we tried to right. find anything, it was, it was for children. And now there's these amazing, amazing resources, you know, Winston's Wish, Grief Encounter, Child Bereavement UK, like people who work with young adults and people to provide fitting support. But when, you know, pre-2000, it was like, didn't. oh, well, never mind. Chin up. And then when you did, you did find the right therapy and you, and it was later on and it was when you, near the time of starting the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. And you, you write about how different it was, but also that you, you were able to unpick things like you've just said really about that your dad about who he was but also about the way he was responding to nobody like you said that he, your mum was like kind of going I need I need to know what we want what we're going to do for the funeral and your dad just didn't want to engage it's funny because when I do the show Griefcast, often people's perception is like oh you must have had this great relationship this like daddy's girl because you're doing this podcast mm. and you're like mm. no no if I did that, I wouldn't need to talk about him. Like, if it had been fine, I wouldn't need therapy, guys. Uh, we had a really complicated relationship. And when he died, he was diagnosed in the February with pancreatic cancer. It had already spread to his liver. Very common in pancreatic cancer. But it's all, mm. by the time you find it, it's everywhere. And he was dead mm. by the April. So it was very, very fast. He was 44 years old. You know, no no age now. I'm not there yet, but approaching those years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm um, 41 and you do suddenly go, yeah. oh, those people that died in their 40s that at the time when I was a kid thought were really old, suddenly they're, they're really not. I really thought he was, I mean, honestly, part of how I got through those first years, was I thought, well, he was old, so old people die. <laughs> that was one of my thoughts. He probably was near it anyway. Yeah, oh, I just God. thought, well, people die, you know, like that's, yeah. that's yeah. what happens. And he didn't deal with it well. That's probably not the fair, a fair way of putting it, but like he really struggled. So he wouldn't talk about him, himself dying at all. He wouldn't acknowledge it. He was like, no, no, next week I'll be out of here. We're going to go abroad and we're going to, and he just wouldn't talk about it. And for years, that was a very painful, really painful memory that I couldn't, I, I mean, I couldn't even said it to you like this now. I would have been in tears. It was so painful mm. to me. Mm. Thanks to therapy and the grief cast and talking about it so much, you know, my therapist, when I finally found someone I, I clicked with and I wanted to, and I was ready, I was in my thirties and I was like, okay, I need to deal with this. She said, or oh, do you think it might've been hard for him? <laughs> I was like, what? 
Oh, uh, yeah. Hang oh, on. Yeah, like, this hadn't, isn't about me. What? hadn't occurred to me because I'm I'm such a 15-year-old yeah. griever. I'm so, my grief is quite inherently yeah, teenage and quite selfish, quite self-involved because yeah. that's when it happened to me. And it's sort of frozen a bit in that time. And I thought, God, it's never occurred to me that it might have been half him. And I thought, oh, yeah. Yeah, he probably just, it wasn't that he didn't, he couldn't. And I, that was such a big change. Anyone have had the language, right? My mum has had a friend who um, everybody knew that she had cancer. You could see that she had cancer. Yeah. But she never told anyone she had oh, cancer gosh, yeah. I think that's probably a generational thing I can't imagine yeah. that I'm sure it does but I can't imagine that so much with our generation but it, it I can remember my mum saying well when we say goodbye you have an extra long hug she knows that we know oh, everyone knows yeah everyone knows but she couldn't for whatever reason so I, I mean it comes there must have been some sort of shame there yeah. or not not able to face it so the conversations that you're having are so powerful for people who will be in that position at some point because we all will that's the thing the emails I've had from people where they you know a parent died and it was never discussed again you know this happens and and I agree with you it's definitely changing and it has got better but there's still people who really struggle to Mm. even talk about death to even mention their funeral to even consider that it's going to happen and Mm. I think what happened to me because of his age, because of my age, it was a real shock. And that shock stayed with me for a long time of like, I can't believe he died. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what just happened? And part of this grief cast, part of this book, what I want to do is ease people out of that headspace where they're like, oh, don't think about it. It will never happen. Because like, mm. it will. It's mm. not like buying a house. Not not everyone buys houses. It's not like going to university. Not everyone goes to university or having kids. Definitely, These things are... going to happen. Yeah, like this is like the absolute definite. As you say, yeah. you know, what's the only thing this you can rely on is tax and death like those are the only two things are definitely going to happen in your life yeah. so you understand both of them still don't get taxed but i've worked on death <laughs> i tried to be 18 oh don't um, oh god it's but, so confusing you must have thought and talked a lot about how people could better prepare for death because i guess like funerals and planning and thinking more of what we should do and that one of the in your book you talk about tom parry's nan who wrote letters and she spoke to the vicars she spoke to the people that were going to be at her funeral she planned the whole thing and you write about the relief that the family had because of that and that must be really rare but it shouldn't be i think it's 50 50 but like the reason i mention it in the book is um so tom parry's his his nine as it is in welsh but his nan she planned everything she planned the vicars she wrote the letters she told everyone where the letters were and then what she also did so as well as planning the funeral and telling everyone where everything was, she gave a letter to the vicar to read out at the funeral, which no one knew about. Oh. So then he opened the letter and said, you know, she's written this letter to you to say thank you so much and I love you all, basically. So, I mean, she was, she's a gold star. I don't know. She's, yeah, she wins. She wins. She is well ahead of the game. Tom's nine, <laughs> absolutely wins. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but what I have encountered again and again and again is if you have some preparation, it makes the first year of grief so much fucking easier like there isn't a case where I disagree with that like where it has been disproved like if they know what the funeral arrangements are they know where your bank account details are like if Mm. they just know where what drawer the things are in they know Mm. your laptop password you know or just these tiny things that we can do it just means when they're in the shock and the pain and the awfulness 
and all the admin starts approaching the death men, as we call it. They go, oh, do you know what? It is written down. And when someone rings, go, oh, what's this? What's the national insurance? What's it? You know, what's the bank diesel? Who, who was the mobile phone with? How have you got the death certificate? Where's, you go, oh, I do. Not, I know where it is. Don't worry. Rather mm. than going, I have no, no idea. idea. I, and then trying to yeah. get that information out of people. I know we had Stacey yeah. Heal on the podcast. And yes. her husband, husband, Greg, died a bit over a year ago. And she talks quite a lot about how much better it could be oh, it could be so much better my mum has a book called I'm dead now what she was a nurse and I think that that helps that helps yeah yeah (laughs) and also she's a bit like she's made it really clear like she'll say and I know this will offend some people but she'll this is it's her so it's up to her what she says I guess but she'll say like oh for god's sake just stick a pillow over my head if I get to that point like she yeah she's like I don't want to drag on for a long time I'm 74. I've done all right, but she's so blunt with it. But it's quite helpful. Like it's she'll so say, helpful. That's incredible. This book is like an A4 book, and it's. I'll have to send you a picture because I was went round and it was just on the side, and I'm like, um, anything we need to know. But she's all. My dad isn't like that so much, and he's a vicar, so that's quite interesting. But she she has this big book. I'm done, and it's got places to put all the like the yeah. admin stuff and the password and stuff but also like what songs do you want at your funeral yeah. where have you hidden the key for the whatever it's all in there that's amazing yeah and and also she'll do stuff like we put our names on the back of stuff around the house and she I was saying that she's got a I think it was my nans or my great nans and it's a little like tapestry type thing that says home sweet home and Aww. I just it's always been in our house yeah, somewhere yeah. in a kitchen wherever we've lived and I was like, I think I'd like that one day. Mum was like, let's put your name. She gets it down, <laughs> name on the back. She's like, right, that's yours. Because I'm one of six. So that sort of what stuff will be six? really complicated. Oh, my yeah. God, I didn't know that it's stuff. Far wow. too many. It's mad. But it does take off something. I don't know. Like, obviously, I've, I've, she's not died. And I don't know. I, I know that that's going to be horrific. Because you make it very clear that regardless how prepared you are and oh, all those yeah. things. It doesn't stop It's the still grief. awful. But I can sense that there'll be something in that because she's already talking about it and faced it and can make light of it. I know, I don't know, there's there's something in that compared there's to someone who won't mention it. Definitely, huge. That is just massive. Gold, star, tick, A+. plus. It makes a huge difference. My grandpa did that. He put names and labels on the back. So I think, what do you want? What do you want? Yeah. Who's having this? He's like, okay, yeah. just come over for a cup of tea. Yeah. There's also, yeah. I should shout out to, you know, Space Masks, those amazing mm. eye yes. masks. Her she book. has a book called The Death Book, which is very similar. It literally similar, says, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you just write down what you want. And I would like to be created, buried, tick. You just, it, and it's like a nice small little red ring binder book you can just leave, tell someone where it is and you can just put everything in there so it's amazing but there's there are lots of options and I'm so proud of your mom I'm so glad because that conversation already beginning just means like if something happens you you are prepared you're slightly prepared obviously if the worst happens if someone doctor is asking you a question you can think I do know what they want mm, mm. we talk about in the book about advanced care plans which is something you can do. You can download a template and say, yeah, if I'm in a vegetative state, I don't want to be resuscitated. I would like to mm-hmm. like, and I know lots of people do get upset about this and frightened. And that's the thing is it's, you're not upset. You're frightened. I understand mm. it's scary. Death is fucking terrifying. Nobody wants it to happen. The idea of it happening is awful. However, it's going to. <laughs> so, so what do we do? Do we just 
put the duvet over it and pretend it's not in the room or do we open up that duvet go I see you and I'm going to be prepared for you little fucker (laughs) so I think just having those conversations Mm. opening it up because it will happen and if you love people why wouldn't you want to make their life easier (laughs) like that's the thing that frustrates me yes Mm. these are difficult conversations and I've had to have it with my mum and She's got that death book from Space Mars. You can open up a very gentle conversation about funeral before you move to advanced care plans or who's yeah. going to get the tapestries. Like, but it's just opening that door to the possibility because it, when grief hits you, anything that can make that easier is going to be welcome. You write about the daft things that people say as well. So you list all the questions we ask people as a standard when we meet them. Yeah, so yeah. it'll be like, oh, and how many siblings have you got? And what's your parents doing? Blah, blah, blah. And you talk about it that it's like dogs sniffing bums. Because <laughs> <laughs> we want to get a sense of who, some, who someone is and put them, give them a place in the world and in their family and all that stuff. But then you say those questions are automatically really awkward if mm. somebody has died because yeah. of, of how to respond to those. And it's and then you have the people trying to make it better because they're worried they've said the wrong thing. But you say basically you can't make it worse. If someone's gone through this, you can't make it worse, really. Yeah, I think that's it because people panic. They don't want to make mm. it worse. So they don't mm. ask questions. And I totally mm. understand. But yeah, it's starting from a place of take me for an example. My dad has already died when I was 15. Like you mm. saying something crap is crap, might be insensitive, might hurt, might make me a bit annoyed, but can't make it worse than my dad dying when I was 15. Like it's happened. Yeah. That's the, the shit thing has already landed. So yeah. don't worry about what you can say wrong, but do try and be sensitive. And the way to be sensitive isn't to say, oh, I'll speak to you like this. And oh, I, you know, it's to say, oh, sorry if I got that wrong. I don't quite know what to say because I, I haven't lost anyone. So I, I sometimes panic and I sometimes don't quite know what the right thing to say is. That's mm-hmm. a fine sentence that gives yeah. me permission to have my grief and you permission to be like, I've got this wrong. And I can go, that's OK. Don't worry about it. I don't really want to talk about it right now because, you know, we're in a meeting and that's absolutely fine. <laughs> and they'll go, oh, OK, great. And I've then said, I am closing this conversation or I can say, oh, thank you. Yeah, it is really hard to say the right thing. But yes, he did die when I was 15 and it is quite sad, actually. But most days I'm OK. Like, it, it's just this panic of trying to be perfect trying to say the right thing and then mm-hmm. either you say nothing which mm-hmm. is the worst absolute worst thing you could do never ever say nothing always attempt to even attempting is better than the people who cross the road and don't say anything mm-hmm. but yeah the questions I really suffered from this I think when I was younger because people people don't tend to ask you so much once I think you have become a parent they're not so interested in your parents <laughs> but yeah, when you're younger yeah. they're like so where do your mum and dad live and I'd be like my mum lives in London <laughs> like, and I would try and that's the hard end my mum as in like don't ask any more questions <laughs> like, mm. and sometimes they'd be like oh right where's your dad live and I'd be like why didn't you pick up on the hard end yeah I, I just did the hard end yeah I just oh, okay yeah. he's dead oh oh I'm so sorry I'm so you know and you're having to deal with all of that and when it really hit me was I had a friend who um a friend lost her brother but I was speaking to the mum and she said what do I say when people say, how many children do you have? Because I don't have four, I've got five. Mm. And I thought, oh God, yeah, what do you say? And someone asked me at a Q&A just yeah, recently, I was being interviewed by the brilliant uh, Pona Bell and they had lost their sister. And they said, you know, do I say I'm an only child? Or do I say 
I had a sister and my answer to all of these things is you have to judge each case individually. And so if you are with someone that you think is insensitive, is not really listening to you, or you're in the middle of like a, a party, you don't want to go into it, by all means, you can change the subject, sweep away. Oh, they passed away a long time ago. Don't worry about it. Like you, you are in charge. But mm-hmm. equally, if you feel like, oh, maybe this is a person who is listening or can learn from this, I can say, oh, well, thank you for asking. I actually do have a sibling, but they died. And so I'm not an only child technically, but it was a while ago. Like it's, we all need to practice these conversations because they're really new. But if we all practice them and we all practice saying, oh God, sorry, I didn't think you were going to say that. I'm a bit shocked. I hope I haven't said anything upsetting or wrong. Like we can all practice mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Then we get better at it. That's all it is. It's just get better yeah. at, at these conversations by by saying them and by being brave. And when somebody says to you, oh, actually they're dead, not going, <gasps> like Actually, and Clover Stroud says, yes. um, she says something, obviously she writes and talks brilliantly about death and grief and her sister, but she says something like when people say, oh my God, I can't imagine how awful that yeah, is. She's yeah. like, when you say that, you're telling me that the worst possible thing, you can't even imagine because yeah. it's so awful. It's my life. And I thought that was, yeah, it's my life, it's my reality. And yeah. I thought that was really interesting because that's a, a really... I can, I, I'm sure I've said it at some point. Yeah. You know, when you go, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't even imagine how awful that is. But the way she framed it, you're like, oh yeah, no, that's not going to make you feel. <sighs> yeah, good. and no one's meaning to say. No, exactly. It's hard. It's really hard to get it right. I think that's where you have to start from. Make your starting point. It's really hard to get it right. So you're probably going to get it wrong. Like mm. if you just start from, I'm probably going to get this wrong. Then yeah. you don't bumble so much. And you don't crash and get embarrassed because you're like, well, yeah, I thought I'd get this wrong. It's really hard to talk about it. And I, yeah. somebody who talks about grief every single week, still say stupid things. I have oh, said you things say about like your that. mother-in-law that when your yeah. mother-in-law died, you didn't know what to say to your husband. I was so it? crap. I was really crap. And I thought, my God, I'm supposed to be good at this. Like. I've been in this club for so long and I just didn't know what to say because what I realized then was like, oh, this grief's really different to my grief because your relationship with her was really different to my dad. So Mm. that's the other thing. Grief is so unique. What might work for one person is not going to work for the next grieving person you meet. So you have to always address it individually because you're not talking about death in general. You're talking about you lost your sister, you lost your mum, you lost your dad. Like these are, those are people in the Mm. same way that not everything works for all children you know like not all children will put their shoes on if you shout like it like you have to individually be like this kid I gotta make it funny this kid I gotta I gotta shout otherwise they do literally don't they just don't do anything so it's um it's a really individual process and I do think sometimes just having a think about the cliches oh I'm so sorry I can't imagine how awful that is Mm. go wow what does it feel like if that's you (laughs) I had a similar thing that um, I did a talk once and this, it was, everyone was sort of standing up and talking about big events that happened to them. And this man stood up and he had nearly died of meningitis, which obviously is awful. And he was talking about his experience and what kept him, the one thing that was haunting him when he was very, very sick was not being able to see his daughter grow up and not being able to see her get married or go to university or meet her grandchildren. And I was sat next to him and I thought, that's my life. Like, you're, <laughs> like he was saying... I just knew I couldn't even imagine her world where she wouldn't have me. And I thought, I can. That's yeah. that's literally <laughs> I can what, tell you all about yeah, it. I can tell you. And what I felt was, which I thought was funny, maybe not what people expect, I wanted to say was she'd be all right. And she would be heartbroken occasionally, but she'd also be all right. Because the idea that death is this 
destruction and you can never come back from it isn't true it isn't true it's awful it's so painful it's it's shattering but you can carry on living and that doesn't mean you don't care and it doesn't mean you didn't love that person it doesn't mean they didn't matter but I am standing I am proof of I'm all right like don't fear it don't make it this thing that's like look oh so unbearable we cannot even say its name it's like no Mm. people die and people get through it somehow somehow Mm. I'm not saying it's easy but you do get through it and what what is the one thing not to say or do (laughs) to someone who's grieving I think it's very individual so some people hate I'm sorry for your loss I don't mind it I don't mind it but I know lots of other people grieving really hate it but the one thing I think generally everyone agrees on is let me know if I can do anything no, don't let me, I, what? I'm, I'm in grief. I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I'm dealing with the most fundamental human experience. And it comes back yeah. actually to your whole don't buy her flowers thing of like, when someone's a new mum, right? Just do something useful. And even if you're like, yeah, put a wash on, get a wash out, fold up some clothes, take them off the radiator, like those little jobs. Mm. Or if you're really, what are you good at? Like if you're someone who's like, oh, I'm like amazing at being on hold for 45 minutes. I'll ring your bank. I'll be on hold for 45 minutes. And the moment they're through, I'll pass you over. Like, but I mm. don't mind that music. I can sit and work. Like we yeah. all have something that we can offer. And even if you're like, oh, I can't bake lasagna. No, but you could go and check they have tea bags. You can make sure they've got biscuits in a, in a crap tin because people keep turning up and wanting biscuits. There's just loads of little things rather than like, let me know if I can do anything. And I've typed that. I've typed that message and then gone, carry on. <laughs> Like, hang on a minute. Why are you typing that? I'm typing that because I don't know that person well enough mm-hmm. to go around to their house. So what and can it, and I do? It, it almost passes. It, it does pass it over because you're like, oh, yeah. I have asked. I've, I've asked. asked if I can do yeah. anything. But it's it's almost going back 10 steps. And is that really helpful? I also am a big advocate of um, make a reminder on your calendar, of your, your computer calendar, which we all have, of in a year's advance. So like note the yeah. date be like okay it was that and scroll through and go right I've put it in for 2023 and then what will happen is you will forget and you'll go what's that funny thing on my calendar oh god um Alex's mum oh yeah and then all you have to do on the day or week before the month be like oh hey just realize it's coming up for a year isn't it like hope you're okay thinking of you like Mm -hmm. just stuff like that I think is really because grief makes you literally makes you feel isolated when other people remind you like you're not alone you're not alone here that's why the book is called that that's why I end every episode with you're not alone because you feel so alone with your pain so anything you can do to chip away at that helps that person go yeah there are people that care that's so can be so so helpful awesome thank you so much Thank you so much to Carrie Ab for chatting with me. I just love how she's making a taboo subject uplifting some. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And just available. There is so much feedback on her podcast from people who it's really helped. Uh, Talking of feedback, if you've enjoyed this, we would love to hear from you. If you could rate and review the podcast, that would be marvellous. You might want to go back and listen to the episode with Stacey Heal, who I mentioned in this episode. And we're going to release an episode every two weeks for this series. So you might like to subscribe and you'll get a ping when we release a new episode. And it's just lovely to be back. I hope 2023 is going okay for you and take care. 